today on Ag News Daily. And that delay is affecting both sides, as you mentioned. It. The oil industry needs to know that what, what's coming, this, that certainty. The ethanol industry and other renewable fuels need to know what, what's coming. And just breaking news as we, as we sit here, EPA has again kicked the can. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday, indeed. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it has been a long week, but a great week this week in Kansas City at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Annual Convention. We've had a lot of things to celebrate and be thankful for this week, but I've got to admit, I am thankful that I am finally back home now, and you are not quite home. You have kind of half a day left here of responsibilities, but it has been a great week. I'm interested to see what your recap is. It has been a fantastic week. And, you know, like I've mentioned before, this is my first in-person NAFB event. And I was part of the social media core, you know, for NAFB. And I've got to say, when I tend to do things like this as a college student, I think I fall a little bit into myself and, you know, I'm not my full self. I'm not, you know, silly and, you know, I'm a, I'm a loud person, so I'm not loud. And, you know, I try to be as professional as possible, which, you know, I did keep my, you know, professional side on to, or this week, not just today, but I also just felt at home. And so I was able to be silly and connect with people, you know, on a level that I think I am my best self. So it, it was really a, a fantastic week, a very inspiring week, especially as a young person in broadcasting. And, you know, we have some great news coming from you as well. You're going to be serving on the board. I am. Yes. So I ran for this year's West region vice president and was humbly elected by a group of our peers. And so a lot of people have been asking me, what do you do with that role? Well, I'm not entirely sure I know yet, to be honest, what all of the roles and responsibilities will, but it's a two-year term that I'll serve starting in January. And really a big part of the role will be just being a liaison between those folks located in the West region. So basically north of Iowa and North and then kind of to the West all the way to California is the geographic area that I'll be representing and working with those people to make sure that their voices are heard and that the organization is moving in a direction that they're all happy and comfortable with. And so I don't know, it's going to be a good experience learning on a board with some of some, some of the really great broadcasters that we see across the ag industry and all facets of ag broadcasting, whether it's podcasting or print or of course, radio and just been a really good week, Ashton. So I'm kind of riding on, it's always, I always feel like this after events like this, I just feel like I'm riding on this high. I feel energized to put the good word of agriculture out there. And I'm glad our listeners uh, support us to continue doing that for them. Absolutely. Delaney, I feel the same exact way. We were at a, a dinner last night or one of the luncheons and I was telling my table that I felt a fire underneath me and I wanted to go out and do something. So we've heard from some very great people this week. And of course, we're going to be sharing some of those conversations here. And one of them actually we're going to be sharing today an interview that we had talking about the R or talking with, I should say, the Renewable Fuels Association. So folks will have to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, Delaney, I have a little update. I spoke earlier this week about the floods that we saw in Canada and in particular to British Columbia. And I think it's a little bit more damaging than I originally thought because on Wednesday, the British Columbia government declared a provincial state of emergency. And at this moment, there's been one confirmed death while four people are still missing from a mudslide incident on Highway 99 near Lalute. 
Nearly 18,000 individuals are still trapped as of Thursday evening. So like I said, a little, I say a little, a lot more damaging than I originally thought. I mean, they're experiencing mud and landslides. There are people trapped, of course, and these are going to be preventing some help to get in there to really get to get these people not trapped and try and find those who are still missing. Yeah, those people certainly are in our thoughts and prayers. That is not a good situation to be dealing with there. But Ashton, while we're on the topic of water, I wanted to mention this quick update, switching tracks a little bit, a little less serious than that issue. But we got some news yesterday, and it's interesting. This kind of broke while Secretary Vilsack was in a room with a reporters, so you can be dang sure that he got asked about this and didn't have a whole lot to say, if I remember correctly. But we just saw the Biden administration release notice that they're going to be moving that WOTUS framework that the Trump administration worked so hard to change. They're going to be moving it temporarily back to a pre-2015 WOTUS definition that brings back the, quote, significant nexus determination. So it's been a little while since we've talked WOTUS on the podcast, but Basically, this pre-Trump rule uh, really just changes the definition of what a waters of the U.S. is. It was much more stringent than the Trump administration's definition. And so following this announcement, agriculture groups are a little upset and have been expressing their concern about where the Biden administration is going, because they said they're going to be rewriting this rule. And this 2015 ruling is temporary. But we don't have, at least what I've been reading, don't have any clear cut answers about what they intend to do with changes long term. And Delaney, I heard uh, that Curtis Carey, the public affairs director of EPA Region 7, he told Brownfield Ag News that this is kind of a two step process here and that they're going to be having roundtable discussions across the country in 2022. So definitely don't think that this is a, an ending point here. Of course, like you mentioned, they're looking for something a little bit more long term. And hopefully those answers are just around the corner here as we are kind of transitioning into 2022. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was a conversation that we had a little bit while we were here about WOTUS. Uh, but moving on here, just really have one other piece of news here. Didn't have a whole lot to really talk about today other than NAFB, it seems. But we are seeing from Senator Tester a proposed bill to stop Brazilian beef imports. And Dawson actually did an interview with NCBA talking about this. So I think we'll get a little bit uh, more details on that front here later. But uh, U.S. Senator Tester introduced this bill that would suspend imports of Brazilian beef until USDA can conduct a safety interview. In the statement, uh, Tester said the bill was in response to repeated issues with delayed reporting of BSE in Brazilian beef. And we've seen a couple of cases, I think, now. So uh, just mm -hmm. seeing a couple of steps move forward here. And like I said, um, Dawson did an interview with NCBA, but we've also had some discussion in some of these sessions, uh, I think particularly the, the trade session, maybe um, about BSE, um, one of the packing sessions, they talked about BSE and really what our steps are going to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. And here's the, I would call it a little bit ironic or maybe hypocritical is a better word, component of that, Ashton. Back in September, Brazil actually suspended beef exports to China because of a similar situation where they had two confirmed cases of atypical BSE in two separate domestic meat plans. So 
This has happened more than one on more than one occasion and certainly don't seem to be taking a lot of measures yet to fix this. But of course, this is just a bill. It has not been passed yet. But one thing that has been passed, Ash, and you know, we talked about uh, infrastructure package, whatever, last week, maybe two weeks ago, I'm drawing a blank on the timeline. But we did also see today that the House has passed Biden's agenda for a $2 trillion package of social agenda items that include various components. There's about $1.7 trillion for the Build Back Better legislation. $82 billion of that is given actually towards agriculture to address what they call climate change. And so there's about $9 billion for the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, which is to specifically increase funding for practices that help producers implement and expand conservation practices. There's about seven and a half billion dollars for regional C or excuse me, regional conservation partnership partnership programs and about four billion dollars for conservation security programs, which focus on whole farm conservation. So this, of course, has just been passed in the House, which is, of course, uh, Democratic led. This still does need to hit the Senate's floor, which is expected to face a lot of, uh, what's the word I want to use? Some tension, traction there. So it could be a long process before it gets passed in the Senate, but it has been officially passed in the House. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today. Ready to see where the markets ended. We certainly should do that, folks. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to Tommy Grizafi this morning, and he just had a lot of thoughts on today's markets. So I won't share too many of those because I don't want to steal his business from him. But just interesting, the moves we've been seeing lately here in the corn and soybean markets. And, you know, one thing really that I wanted to ask him, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot, is as we continue to talk about this fertilizer issue what happens with the psychology of farmers? Do we see a lot of farmers actually shifting acreage from corn to maybe wheat or soybeans? Or do we see that psychology beating up farmers and thinking, oh, my neighbor's going to plant something different. So I'm going to continue to plant corn, even if I do have higher input costs. So I don't know. We're at this interesting intersection, I think, of what decisions are going to be in that March Planting intentions report. I know it's still a long ways away, but that is going to be an interesting one to continue to watch here as folks are beginning to plan for 2022. But Ashton, let's look at where markets closed for today. December corn today down two and a quarter, closing at 570 and three quarters. The March down two and a quarter as well, closing at 577 on the nose. Soybeans pulled back just slightly today as the January contract shed two cents, closing at 1263 and a quarter. The March down a penny and a half and the day at 1275. Wheat continued to push higher today as the December contract added three pennies to close at 8.23. March Chicago contract up three and a half cents, ending the day, ending the week, I should say, at 8.34 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we continue to see mixed trade between the live and feeder cattle markets as the December contract added 37.5 cents, closing at 133.52.5 the February, up 45 cents, closing at 137.70. In feeder cattle today, as I mentioned, there was some change between the live cattle and feeder cattle complex as feeder cattle headed lower to end this Friday session. 
January down 45 cents today to close at 160.92 and a half. The March down 17 and a half to close at 163.37 and a half. And I know there was a cattle on feed report today. I have not had time to read that yet. We'll get Angie Setzer's take on that report and more on Monday's Market Monday episode. So do stay tuned. December lean hogs today down $1.35, closing at $73.75. And the February down $0.82.5, closing at $82.47.5. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. We saw December today up $0.85, closing at $18.33. The January up $85 as well to close at $18.85. Ashton, without further ado, let's take it over to your and Dawson's conversation with the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, today here we are joined by Robert White, who is the VP of Industry Relations for RFA. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So just kind of want to get an update to kick things off here, talking about the renewable fuel standard. Of course, we've seen a couple of conversations really just kind of talking about how it may not be beneficial to either side here. I think there's kind of a lot of confusion there. So can you maybe clear a couple of things up for us on what's going on there? Sure. Really what's going on is every year EPA has the statutory requirement to set volume obligations for the obligated parties. And that really is just a percentage of their gasoline distribution, their diesel distribution that they do as a refiner in most cases. Uh, Those obligations usually come out as proposed in the month of June. They have to be finalized by uh, law by the end of November, so next week. And we actually still don't have 2021, so we're a year and a half behind. 2021 is almost over. No one's been told how much renewable fuels they are required to blend. And by the way, 2022 should be done next week as well by law. It hasn't been proposed either. So we are we're, uh, have a log jam at EPA. 2021 RVO was on the last administration. Obviously, 2022 is on this one. And that delay is affecting both sides, as you mentioned. It. The oil industry needs to know that what, what's coming, this, that certainty. The ethanol industry and other renewable fuels need to know what, what's coming. And just breaking news as we, as we sit here, EPA has again kicked a can on compliance dates for the obligated parties, which is very bad news for us because it, again, n- leaves that uncertainty out there in the balances. And then the RFS, by law, is uh, set to be handed over to EPA in 2022. Those statutory volumes no longer apply. They can use them as guidance, but they work with USDA, DOE, and, of course, within EPA to set those future obligation amounts. And so we're, we're really focused on that to make sure the RFS has its integrity, that the law is followed, and we get back on track. Well, Robert, we're not we're, we're very familiar with uh, the Trump administration's lax policies when it came to blending mandates and going into the beginning of the Biden administration. I believe the RFA was really hopeful of blending requirements going forward. But are you seeing a lot of that pullback or I mean, we're seeing a lot of uncertainty here, like you say, but do you see anything any good in the future coming to that? Well, I think the simple way to explain it is they've talked to talk. Now it's time to walk to walk. And we really haven't seen anything. And that's as frustrating as bad news in some cases, right? Because we don't, we don't have any direction. Uh, the news this morning, that is definitely 
bad news, and that's on them. There's no explanation for why you can't get something done in 10 months that's required by law. So I, that's unfortunate. Uh, uh, we will be putting out a, a strong statement on this morning's news and how unfortunate it is. And, again, the more uncertainty it adds to both sides. This is not just an ethanol problem. It's not just a biodiesel problem. This is an oil problem as well uh, because we, we all have to have those signals, those those cues on, on what production is needed and then ultimately where it's needed. So obviously under the Biden administration as well, infrastructure has been a pretty large topic of conversation. And we really just saw that infrastructure bill uh, hit, I believe, earlier this week, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, what are some really big um, ethanol and uh, renewable fuels infrastructure needs that we're kind of looking at here? Let's dissect that a little bit. Well, ours is always the downstream stuff, so the the ability to get the fuel to the consumer, and that is really twofold. The terminals where the fuel meets the the gasoline, gasoline comes up the pipeline, the ethanol is delivered by rail, truck, or barge. Uh, There's infrastructure needs there. Then you get down into the individual fuel stations, and there's a lot of infrastructure that needs there. And to be honest, they need a lot of infrastructure even for gasoline. There's a lot of older tanks. There's a lot of older stations. Uh, but in this case, we've had a couple previous USDA programs. Uh, uh, Higher Blends Infrastructure Initiative Program is being implemented as we speak. Uh, it was $100 million for retailers matched by another $100 million in private sector. And there was a program before that that did the same thing. It was... Uh, called BIP, Biofuels Infrastructure Partnership Program. And in the infrastructure uh, legislation is some of that money again. So again, we're going to continue to incentivize, if you will, uh, the fuel retailers to offer higher blends like E15 and E85. Because again, as the total number of gallons of liquid fuel is needed, if we can increase our, our percentage of that blend, then we can maintain, if, if not grow. And at the same time, we're looking at all the other new uses that could come about for ethanol, like sustainable aviation fuel, uh, ethanol to electrons. We have a couple companies working on diesel replacement, which is pretty exciting. Those markets are billions upon billions of gallons that could be used but with ethanol. Kind of talking about a little bit more of those individual fuel stations, when it comes to the consumer, I think uh, a lot of people get a little bit confused as to what ethanol is really used for and how that works in their vehicles, those kinds of things. So what do you think maybe needs to change when it comes to marketing at those individual stations? Um, hopefully, I'm kind of getting my question across to you here because I'm kind of going back and forth in my head on how to word this, but uh, what is really RFA's stance on how we can really hit the consumer and uh, make sure that they know that ethanol gas is not a bad thing? Yeah, that's that's important. We all of our marketing efforts are trying to get the consumer to neutral or positive before they get to the gas station. So that when they're there and they see ethanol, all they're down to is, can I use this blend in my vehicle? And the, the confusion at the pump is definitely not intentional on our part, but it is intentional on other people's parts. Like, you know, perhaps the gasoline supplier for that station or the EPA in this case, where you have orange and black warning labels on a, on a fuel that can go into 97% of the vehicles on the roads today, like E15. So we continue to work. Uh, we're, again, another rule we've been waiting on for over a year from EPA uh, is under kind of a streamlining mechanism for e, E15 labeling, tank compatibility, and other things, again, that would help clear up some of that confusion. Because the last thing we want is someone to put the wrong fuel in the wrong vehicle and have a problem because I guarantee you what component of the fuel they'll blame, it, it will be ethanol. 
Yeah, you know, I've definitely accidentally put uh, the wrong fuel in my car a time or two, so I know where that confusion kind of lies there. But we've talked about a couple of different things here, some key things that RFA is paying attention to. But what are some other things moving forward that you guys are kind of working on that we can expect to see within the, the coming weeks slash months? Well, the the biggest thing right now is carbon, right? Carbon is the buzzword. And the cool thing about ethanol is we're way ahead of the game. We're already a 50% reduction in carbon to gasoline uh, without any changes. That's where we're at. And we have made the pledge uh, to the world that by 2030 we'll be 70% reduction, and then by 2050 either net zero or negative. And so we're working through those processes now on what does the farm gate need to do? What do the farmers have to implement? Because it doesn't start at the ethanol production facility. It starts all the way back at the farm. So we have to improve those sustainability practices to lower the carbon intensity. Once we have their corn, then what we do with it, the multiple products we're making out of the back end, not just ethanol. And those low carbon fuel standards, those uh green fuel standards that are being discussed all across the country on state, regional, and national levels, we're already prepared and we're ready to to not only lower the price, but we're prepared to lower the carbon. And that's pretty exciting. We don't need to wait on electric vehicles. We're already ready to help. Uh, Senator, Senator Chuck Grassley came out and was criticizing the Biden administration, I believe, on electric vehicles and pushing that uh, you know, having 50% of sales for cars being electric vehicles by 2030. Do you feel like they're kind of jumping the gun on, you know, reaching net zero emissions versus using resources that we currently have? Yes, I do. I, and I don't think 2030 is possible. I mean, the, between the battery technology, the vehicle technology, and the power technology. I mean, we're think of last winter when the entire Midwest was having electrical problems and we're supposed to have half our vehicles powered off that same grid. We're just not prepared for it. We're not ready for it. And I think a lot is lost in the electrical vehicle conversation and, and what Senator Grassley's talking about. An electric vehicle in Iowa is much different than an electric vehicle in California based on the power and where it comes from. If you're powering an electric vehicle off of coal power, it's actually dirtier than a E85 flex fuel vehicle running ethanol. And that's, that's a story that will start to get more exposure and more traction. And that's what the senator is talking about. If you're going to throw, you know, seven or eight trillion dollars at, at, uh, EV infrastructure and EV technology, how about you help out a little bit the, the, the actual fuels that are making a difference today? There's no reason to wait, as I said earlier. And even despite uncertainty that we're having with, uh, you know, EPA and future demand with infrastructure even, uh, coming back to just the Energy Information Administration's numbers that we're seeing each week with uh, blending production and ethanol production that's sitting pretty well above 2020, even above 2019 before the pandemic hit. Do you still see that we're going to see those levels, you know, above those past numbers or maybe even slide here in the, in the future? Well, I think what, what's happening now is unprecedented driving demand. And I like to call it, we're doing revenge driving. We're re revenging the pandemic, right? And we don't know where we're going, but we're going to get in our car and drive around a little bit. So I don't know how long that lasts. I mean, where does it, where do we settle down? Where does the, you know, 30 or 40% that are supposedly going to work from home now, where do those gallons fall out of the picture again? Uh, but right now, you know, we're, we're enjoying a, a, the brief moment of sunlight in the last almost two years of uh, down demand and unfavorable margins and enjoying it. So I, I don't know what the answer is and how long it'll last, but uh, I think we're going to see more more fuel demand than most people are, are given even after the pandemic is over, officially over.
Alrighty, Robert, well, thank you again so much for joining us and chatting about RFA today. Thank you. Well, thanks again there to folks at RFA for chatting with Dawson and I while we were here during a trade talk at NAFB. We're, like I have continuously said, going to keep sharing those conversations here. But I also want to direct folks while I'm kind of riding on this high and, you know, feeling of gratitude to the Global Ag Network website. There were a lot of our podcasters here at NAFB that I got to meet face-to-face, which was really nice. Rusty Halverson of Ag on Tap actually got some awards earlier at the awards luncheon. So if you want to go and extend your thanks to him, you can do so by tuning into their podcast on globalagnetwork.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.